We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, the Nets season is officially over. They were swept by the Philadelphia 76ers today. How are you feeling? Ten straight playoff losses, baby! Yeah, ten straight playoff losses. Back-to-back sweeps. It's rough out here for Nets fans. It's been a rough three years. At one point, it felt like we were clear-cut to win a championship early on in that Buck series. Kyrie goes down and Ever since then, it's been disappointment. We're going to jump into that in plenty more. Make sure to check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, give us follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But Jack, where do we start? Um, yeah, yeah. Let's um, <laughs> let, let, let's let's figure that out. No, I think we start with Nick Claxton, possibly Nick, because his past two games in this game was a was a showing for, for Nick Claxton. He was the best player on the floor tonight and I had a career night in the postseason. 19 points, 12 rebounds, three of them offensive, had four blocks, was just a monster on the perimeter, 3-5 from the free throw line, had 8-10 from the field and he's 38 minutes. Without Joel Embiid out there, Nick Claxton was allowed to feast. And I think that we can dive in a bit into some bigger picture discussion as well to provide a bit of evergreen nature to this to this episode. Do you think Nick Claxton this postseason has shown enough to be a genuine playoff rotation player when the games matter even more, when the Nets are winning a series, if that ever goddamn happens? Because I'm seeing a lot of chatter about Nick Claxton, the iffiness about his long-term viability as the Nets center. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think you could look at that and you could you know say that you want a different type of center a bigger center a stretch five center that could be something you want but i think clax ultimately is good enough to be you know a starter on a championship team you know maybe that's depending on the rest of the guys around him and the type of defense you play but like hypothetically if the nets had continued this season with Kyrie and KD and made you know a, a nice addition at the deadline and Clax was your starter, you'd feel really good about that going into the playoffs. And you feel like this is a team that could contend for a championship. I think it's easy to kind of look at holes in players when the entire roster is not up to standard. You know, I think Mikel Bridges, you know, in this game, you know, he looked more like a third or fourth option rather than a second or a one. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, he's more probably a backup point guard or a complimentary starter. You know, Cam Johnson, I thought lived up to the hype in the playoffs, but I think Clax has a skill set that's really good. And if you can build a team around it, that's great. But if you can, I can understand why people have worries just because, 
you know, switching defense sometimes sets you up to get killed on the boards, especially if your other four starters aren't putting in the type of energy and, you know, having the right mentality attacking the boards. Yeah, Jacques Vaughn said that the Nets need to get a, an extra big in the offseason or get bigger. And I'm just like, I, I don't know if if that is it. Like the Nets have been plagued by defensive rebounding issues for the last couple of years. So I, I don't know whether that is changing the defensive scheme as you alluded to. But the Nick Claxton conversation, maybe I have a lot of subjective bias. I think both of us do when it comes to Clax City. And I think it's it might be just providing him a semblance of support because we're seeing that it can succeed somewhat in in Cleveland with Jared Allen and and Evan Mobley. We've seen it somewhat succeed with a Sabonis and sort of Turner. So if there's like another guy there, and that's the hardest thing, what is the other guy? You know, is Daron Sharp going to develop a three in the offseason? Is Nick Claxton going to do it himself? Because we've seen him do that at points in in college and early points of his career. So I think that there are, you know, there are reservations for good reason. But I also do think that, what we did see him produce in game three and in game four showed that he can be a quality rotation player in this sort of team. Look, there are that many gaps and misses in this roster in terms of you know contending for when it does matter. I think we just got to look at the fact that Nick Claxton's probably the second best player on this team right now. And that does that mean you need to overhaul the roster completely? And look, if someone gives you a... I know, uh, Pascal Siakam back in a Nick Claxton sort of trade. Do you take it? Maybe you consider it. But I think that all these questions are for sure marks to, to consider. And But I also do think that it is worth looking back and going, man, Nick Claxton grew into something of a absolute force on the offensive end and especially on the defensive end this season. And yeah. can he hold up in playoffs? I, I think he can. I think that there is... I think we're focusing a little bit too much on one guy in terms of the bigger picture. And I think that the bigger picture is what needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think you just look at the defense as a whole, you know, and how much they ask of him. You know, if he's contesting a shot at the rim, it's hard to ask him to box out two guys and get the rebound. You know, I think the rebounding thing, as I mentioned, is kind of a team effort thing. And like you mentioned, you know, maybe getting a girthier, you know, power forward or someone with a little bit more size and DFS that can provide you more of an impact on the boards and kind of cover up some of those mistakes. And also it's, as I mentioned, just like other guys getting involved. And I think what I love from Clax in this postseason was, you know, he was not good in game one and game two, game three and game four. He was arguably the Nets best player. You know, he's a guy that just like really stepped up and, that's something you could really appreciate from Clax. And he even mentioned that kind of post game, you know, he's mentioned it. It sucks to get swept. He said, I think it's trash. Um, but at the same time, he said he took a look in the mirror and he understood that he needed to be better in game three and game four. And he was, you know, he was a guy that went out there and gave the shot the Nets a real shot to win both games. Yeah, I love this bloke, man. Like, yeah. his mentality, his confidence. Like, I can't wait to see what he produces next season because there's going to be increased wrinkles to his game. What's he going to be working on? Maybe a little bit of post up, maybe a little bit more of the offense because maybe he's going to, you know, hit the gym a little bit more and continue to put on a, a little bit of girth, a little bit of mass. But ultimately, whatever he does, Nick Claxton has had an outstanding season. And the the focus on him in terms of the Nets' viability long-term. Look, if we're looking and going, okay, look, we can change Nick Claxton and then bring in Damian Lillard, the Nets going to be a championship team. I honestly don't think that's the case. I think that there needs to be, like, let's look at the thing from a holistic side of things and let's focus on the fact that right now there's plenty of steps that need to happen for the Nets to even get close 
to championship contention. I think the baby steps might need to happen. And let's just keep guys that are really good players on this team. Let the shorts, the shortcuts to success we've sort of seen in seasons past, probably Billy King more than, than the Sean Marks era. But in saying that, let's just focus on how goddamn good Nick Claxton was in these past two games. And the ability to bounce back, as he alluded to in his self-reflection, is a trait that you want to have in players. You want to have in guys on your roster. And I'm glad we got Clack City. Yeah, and this is the guy that was up for Defensive Player of the Year, you know, during stretches of the season and most improved. Like, that's that's impressive stuff. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Really, really is uh, a hell of a season from Nick Claxton and, and, and a really good uh, final couple of games from him uh, as well in games three and game four. But Nick, I think we discussed Mikael Bridges and Spencer Dinwiddie next. Mikael Bridges, six of eight in from the field, two of six of three, three of six in the free throw line, only the five boards and the three assists, was minus 13 on the night, 17 points overall, finished the postseason with 23.5, 5.3 rebounds, four assist splits on 43, 40, 78. Uh, splits, not the greatest postseason from Mikael Bridges, but I did see enough from him. I think that this was a game where it was just a, a bit of an aberration overall from the Nets, and I think Mikael Bridges sort of fed into that because a lot of people, including you know people smarter than us, ESPN, Zach Lowe, Kirk Goldsbury, sort of saying, this guy can be a number two in a championship team. Do you still believe that despite tonight's, I guess, lackluster performance from him? Yeah, I think he still needs to grow. I think the physicality of the playoffs definitely impacted his ability to score games two through four. Even today, it just looked like he was getting frustrated with the officiating, not necessarily getting the same calls he was getting in the regular season. So I think the more disappointing thing was kind of his mentality for the first three quarters of this game. Just kind of took a backseat and didn't play with that same level of aggression and defensively just wasn't good enough. No, and look, the defense is something that you can rely on a little bit with Mikael Bridges. So... I think that the fact that he wasn't able to produce there is, is something that uh, it's not worrying because he's the burden on him on both ends of the floor. Like, you know, he's, he's still he growing. Might, 
he's still growing and look he's gonna go into the gym uh, like in a similar sort of mentality and like he said like you know uh, i'm sorry to my guys like yeah. and, and again the self-reflection from this team has been pretty positive except for maybe one guy but in yeah. saying that when it comes to mikhail bridges and nick claxton two guys that i've absolutely loved watching play in a brooklyn nets uniform mikhail has done a lot to show us that he can be a a pretty goddamn good piece on, on a postseason team. And this is the first time he's ever had the burden and responsibility of being a number one guy. And to get a taste of it, I think, is probably better than having a full 82 games and then, you know, a non-postseason. You know, I might ask you towards the end about, you know, the general postseason, overall postseason thoughts. But if anything, the benefit of making the postseason despite the sweep, it gives Mikhail Bridges experience as, you know, this is the league guy. This is what happens. You know, there's no Devin Booker. There's no Chris Paul. There's no DeAndre Ayton to sort of not hide behind, but have a lesser responsibility so you can be the defensive force that you are. But this is what we're going to rely on you upon. This is what Kawhi Leonard does. This is what these other real, this is what Giannis does. So it was an opportunity for him. It was an opportunity he seized at times. And at other times, you know, the playoffs, the the bright lights got to him a little bit. Yeah, I think it's just different when the game plan is focused on you. You know, the difference between, you know, just like players on Philadelphia and the way they played in games one through three with them beat on the floor compared to how they were played tonight or today is different. And now Mikel, like you mentioned, he's not the third or fourth option. He's the number one option. He's seeing multiple faces, multiple arms in his face, and they're going to give him a level of physicality until he proves he can kind of beat it. And like you talked about, getting a taste with the regular season and postseason is more important because you could look amazing in 82 games, but then coming to that 16-game stretch, you your flaws can be showcased even more. And, you know, for a lot of Nets, they were. And not it wasn't too surprising given our expectations going into the postseason, but it just gives those guys something to work on. Can I ask you, I'll, I'll bring up the question a little bit earlier, Nick, in general. And this is something I literally immediately woke up and, and thought upon reflection of this postseason overall. Do you think there was benefit in making this postseason? And I, and I, and I, I really to and fro and go, okay, I know... Look, behind the scenes, Nick and I have been discussing this for the past what, 10 games of the season, ever since we got Mikael Bridges and the new iteration of this team was happening. And I will say a few times, I recanted to Nick, I'm like, I don't really want to make the postseason, Nick. I don't see the benefit of it. We can get a, be in the lottery sort of sweepstakes. We might be able to get something in what is a loaded draft class. What is the benefit of you know, getting swept again? What is the benefit of, of, of et cetera, et cetera? And I looking back on it, like maybe I was right in those immediate thoughts, but I also do think, you know, you, I don't think there's a, a yes or no answer. There is shades of gray in the middle where you look at, man, without this, we wouldn't have seen this sort of growth from Nick Claxton as a postseason performer. We wouldn't have gotten the opportunities to Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges. We wouldn't have seen, even to a, a worse extent, when you're looking at the other side of it, how Joe Harris cannot be a postseason performer, how Spencer Dinwiddie, for the most part, cannot be a postseason performer, how Royce O'Neal might not be there, DFS might not be there. And it's just like, it, it gives you maybe... A, a greater opportunity to see, okay, these are the guys that I can rely on when the games do matter, the sort of A2B 16 game uh, discussion. So, uh, look, uh, a part of me is like, man, uh, I wouldn't have minded getting, you know, a, a cheeky 2 3% chance of getting, you know, a pretty goddamn high pick. But at the same time, there are benefits to what did happen, even though it doesn't feel like that after getting swept for a second straight year. Yeah, I think it all really depends on what your intentions are in the offseason. If you were going into more of that rebuild or like the slow approach, I think getting the better pr uh, pick would probably benefit you more. 
But based off of what it feels like, it seems like the Nets are going to maybe not swing for contention instantly, but also they could with a Damian Lillard. So I feel like you want to get the best idea of who you have on your roster. And like you said, you know, Cam Johnson looks like he can perform in the playoffs. He didn't have his best game in game four, but he had some big games, some big moments. And I just love the mentality he played with in the postseason. I thought he was locked in more than majority of the roster, you know, a lot of the time. And he, he played, I think they showed on yes network. He played more minutes in playoff games than he's ever played in regular season games. So credit him for that. And stepping up from a conditioning standpoint, I was really happy with his play. Like you mentioned, Clax is definitely showcasing things. I think he's a guy that's growing and understanding more of how he can have an impact. Spencer. We know we've talked about him. He's, he can't be a lead guy in the playoffs. Mikel probably can't be your number one, but we kind of already knew that going into the postseason and in general would be, could he be that number two? You know, that still kind of needs to be seen, but at the same time, it's hard to be a number two when you're technically being asked to be a number one. Yeah, and you're asking to be a number one on the defensive end as well. Yeah. A 1B with Nick Claxton sort of there as well. But yeah, Cam Johnson, Nick, I think is a really good point to to throw out there as well. At nearly 19 points a game, nearly six rebounds on 51-43-86 shooting. That's pretty goddamn great. Nearly 50-40-90 in the postseason. And without these opportunities, we might not have seen this from Cam Johnson. And look, part of it is it fool's gold because it's a contract year for Cam Johnson. Maybe, you know, maybe there's that incentive there for him to perform to a higher level. But at the end of the day, he did it. And you just got to look at it from from that uh, point of view. And he can be a three, uh, probably more like a four or five on a, a decent enough team. But if you got like a combination of wings, which the Nets do have, if they are a high level of play, and it's just sort of like a more a high level Toronto Raptors sort of style of things. He can be a part of that sort of collective where you're playing him high level minutes. He can give you good defense. He can give you good shot making. And again, you know, him and Mikhail Bridges are, are, are guys that are in their mid twenties now, mid to late twenties. So the nets aren't in the point where they can continue to sort of rebuild and just like be patient with this. Our two, two of our three best players are closer to 30 than they are to 22. So you got you can't really go a total patient approach, but it's it's something really interesting to see. And I might throw out to Twitter tomorrow and just sort of hear what their thoughts are. And I think we'll go and dive deep into it after a little bit of a break about what should be the direction of the Nets going forward. I think that could be a fun discussion. But in saying that, the direction we've seen from Mikhail to a lesser extent, from Cam Johnson especially, from Nick Claxton, these guys, it's been somewhat positive at the very least. Yeah, I think uh, Mikhail's stuff is really correctable in the sense of like he needs to just be getting experience against a defense that has three sets of eyes on him and he just needs to get stronger. You know, you can get away with being skinny like that for the most part, if you're not getting the physicality all game, we've seen it firsthand last year against Boston Celtics. They were physical with Kevin Durant disrupted him. So I think adding a little bit of strength, core strength and, you know, having options to make his life easier. But Cam Johnson, I thought really in games one through three played probably better in that three game stretch than he's played his entire Nets tenure. Like, I thought he was really good. And I mean, I didn't think he was actually bad today. He just wasn't able to hit as many shots. His legs were kind of out of him on some of those threes. So I think that's where you see something, like you said, probably not a third option, more of a fourth. But also, I think we saw more of his self-creation and creating for others in this postseason than what we saw at the end of the regular season. You and I have talked about, you know, there's a flash here, there's a flash here. Well, he flashed a lot in the postseason with that skill. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I really enjoyed the episode we did and during the All-Star break about, you know, Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges, the the twins, and, and what they can be going forward. And I was like, look, I, I, and both of us were like, we can see something here in yep. Cam Johnson. And I'm like, I don't want to put a ceiling on this. Let's see what he can do and what he can produce. And I've seen, like, a guy do, like, crossover, you know, mid-rangers. I've seen, I've seen a guy posterize one of the best defensive bigs in the NBA. So, like, these are sort of things that you don't see from a, a, a quote-unquote like low-level average role player. At the very least, he is a high-end role player and can contribute when the games do matter. And those guys don't come around along. Uh, that you can't just pick them off a tree. Like that's that was really really good from him, and it was nice to see. It. And there could be some more wrinkles that gets unlocked in a in a key postseason. Because I know what he said, you know, in, in some of his postseasons uh, post match sort of stuff was like we we're trying to put three teams sort of together, and you yeah. know, in, in the span of like a couple of months. So that's a lot. So whatever this team is, I'm confident in what Cam Johnson can produce when the games matter, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think he's a guy that can be a starter on a championship team. Like we talked about, I think he's good enough two-way. He can defend multiple positions. He has good size. I think there's just continuing to add polish to his game is going to be huge. And I'm really interested to see the steps that him and Mikhail take over the summer and Clax. Nick, I want to ask about Jacques Vaughn because <laughs> this rotation playing my fellow Aussie brethren, Patrick Samuel Mills, over the likes of Edmund Sumner, Cam Thomas, Yuta Watsonabe, and maybe to a lesser extent, Darren Sharp. Feels David Duke some- Jr. even. <laughs> yeah, David Jr. even. Feels somewhat head-scratching. And as well as 13 minutes for Joseph Harris and another 22 for Seth Curry, which, again, I don't I don't get. Like, if you're, like, down and you're down 3-0, like, it's sort of like when you're in tank mode. It's like you want to get more out of what you can see from guys 8 to 10 in the rotation. Can these guys contribute at least somewhat? We saw that for... 11 minutes with Cam Thomas. Didn't get any of those tonight. I just don't understand playing Joe Harris, Patty Mills, and Seth Curry for a combined 22 plus 40 minutes. Like, those guys just aren't going to be postseason performers. Like, Seth Curry to a very small extent and maybe on a different team. But in Netsland, it ain't going to happen. And Patty Mills got, like, absolutely eaten up by James Harden tonight as well. So, look, I love the... I've, at different points in time, I've been big stands for, for, for these three guys. But in terms of the direction of this team, like it just feels like nepotism in a weird way. Like Sean Marks is like, you got to play these guys over Cam, you got to play these guys over Utah or whatever. It's just like, it's it's nonsensical, Nick. It's flabbergasting in yeah. some regards. Yeah, and you wonder if that's really the case. You wonder if Sean Marks is chiming in to Jacques Vaughn, hey, you should play this guy, you should play this guy, and him kind of using his ego and his power. But I mean, Joe Harris was the first sub in this game. That Come on, makes man! Absolutely no sense. We discussed in the last pod. He shoots under 20% from three against the Sixers in the playoffs. He's been atrocious. If he's not knocking down at the three ball, he's not really providing you much of an impact. And he clearly hasn't done that. So there's really no reason to go to him. Seth Curry, I'm fine with because at least he can create some offense. And he did some things out there. And I think with him beat out, you know, you can hide Seth a little bit easier. And I think even between Joe, Seth, and Patty at this point, Seth plays probably with a little bit more tenacity. He might foul a little bit too much, but at least he'll be aggressive. Joe just kind of feels like a traffic cone at points. It just feels like every NBA player is comfortable shooting over him. You know, Niang shot over him. McDaniel shot over him. Like, guys that aren't even really good offensive creators felt comfortable going at Joe Harris. And Patty Mills, I don't hate the guy or anything, but it's pretty clear he's not an NBA rotation player anymore. He wasn't getting minutes in the regular season. There's absolutely zero reason to play him in the second quarter of a game that's do or die. You know, like, this is win or go home, and you're playing – 
arguably the worst player on your roster. Yeah, pop, pop, yeah, I think that's a, a credible argument for a guy that... Drew uh, Smith might been... be better than him, and he's a two-way, and obviously he can't play, but I'm being serious. Hey, Raycon Gray, baby. Give me some Raycon <laughs> Gray out there. But no, in saying that, all three of them combined for 0 of 9 from the three-point line. Paddy Mills, like, uh, he is... Oh, Royce uh, O'Neal in there, too. You got one of 14 from three from the bench. That's that's hey. enough to lose you the game. And the Nets were 9 of 37 overall. And, you know, a big reason, you know, we said go back to our playoff preview if you uh, are sickos like that and want to hear our analysis. And when it came down to it, it's like, oh, the Nets going to make their threes. Again, reductive, simplistic, but true. Yeah. And I, I think that just overall, it just, it, it's sort of like the, and this was supposed to be more of a Jacques Vaughn discussion, but we can just look at the team going forward. If Joe Harris, Paddy Mills, Seth Curry are on this team next season, it's going to be not a head scratching, but like skull scratching. I'll be yeah. scratching my skull with force at like the the idiocy of roster building that Sean Marks is doing because you need to offload these guys. And what is the value that they have? Look, Paddy Mills, it doesn't have value. Seth Curry might have a little bit of value. He's Joe expiring Harris has, anyway. I mean, he's going to be a free agent. Paddy's expiring. Joe's expiring. Their their contract expiring has more value than their actual play. Exactly. So you, you use that to you know sort of finagle a few things and, and find some teams that want to have you know roster flexibility and, and a cap flexibility going forward. But yeah, when it comes to Jacques Vaughn, Nick, look, I've I've said this, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and now it seems to be a more prominent discussion around net social media about the fact that Nick Nurse was fired the other day. Ima Yudoka is rumored to go to Toronto, and there's a heap of great assistant coaches out there. And I think, look, Jacques Vaughn has done some positive things in this postseason. I don't want to take away that from him, especially the defensive game plans in, in games one through three. But the rotations have left me scratching my head. The offense has left me scratching my head. And maybe some of that should be more on the players. I, I agree with that. But I also do think that as a in the postseason, coaching matters more. And, and, and X's and O's coaching matters more. And I don't think Jacques Vaughn is a smart X's and O's coach for the most part. I think he's average. I think defensively, I thought, I think he was good X's and O's wise. But offensively, it was just kind of simple as you kind of mentioned before you know make threes or mysteries yeah and and it was sort of just like he was expecting this to be like a Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving sort of thing in in the clutch time because the Nets as a clutch team under Jacques Vaughn have been goddamn pitifully awful and we've discussed that and we've seen that from Bobby Marks and stuff and like all you gotta do is just watch the last five minutes of games when they matter it's just like Spencer Iso, Mikhail Iso. it's just like can we create something a little bit here can we do a, a few little sets here or there but yeah, in saying that, I'm I'm not as and, and I think both of us have said this at different points after certain games. I'm not totally uncomfortable with Jacques Vaughn being the semi long term head coach of this team, but I'm not comfortable either. And I'm probably less comfortable about it after what we saw this postseason. The defensive side of things I thought was sensational, but I think all of that was also on the players, because I think it, it requires the plan and the, and the guys executing it. But when you've got better coaches available out there like even Quinn Snyder before he went to Atlanta like Quinn Snyder Ime Udoka Nick Nurse those are three coaches off the top of my head that are automatically guys I would take over Jacques Vaughn but in saying that look he's been with the organization for a long time nepotism matters apparently a little bit with this this Wayne franchise was handed a, a roster you know middle of the season and I think also this is kind of like a shot at Sean Marks is you know Vaughn has alluded to some things. They want to play kind of a, a driving kick offense. Hard to do that when you have one driver. 
Yeah. yeah. So, and, yeah. so I think Marks deserves a big chunk. And not to say that Vaughn should get a free pass because I think his rotations specifically today were horrendous and there were some more than one questionable decision to finish the regular season the way he coached in the postseason. But I think he wasn't handed a great hand. But at the same time, those other guys are clearly better coaches based off of their experience. Yeah, look, seventh in, in coach of the year voting as well. I think a lot of that you could uh, attribute to the KD and Kyrie start where the Nets were like, you know, 18 and two or something like that over an extended stretch. I think he can be, uh, I'm I'm not going to be complaining about Jacques Vaughn to the level that we were complaining about Steve. Yeah. Let's put, let's at least put it that way. I think he is a better man manager. I think he has a better, he's a better leader. I think he has a, a greater temperament for this. I think he has a better passion. I think, you know, he, he's more invested in this team. I just don't think, you know, he's a, uh, as we alluded to, the 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 greatest version of Jacques Vaughn is Ty Lu. You know, the, where he gets to that level where it's just like, but even Ty Lu has, you know, he can be stubborn with his rotation sometimes, but he's also shown flexibility, you know, when things get a little bit weird and wonky. Whereas we haven't, we've seen that, you know, in small glimpses from Jacques Vaughn, but yeah, he's I don't think He's got weird Jacques... and wonky in ways that are negative, in ways yeah, that are clearly yeah. won't work, like playing Seth Curry and Joe Harris together in the playoffs and then playing Patty Mills and Joe Harris in the same lineup. I think uh, Doug Norrie put out something. One of the lineups we saw in the second quarter, I think, was Spencer Dinwiddie, Patty Mills, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, and Nick Claxton had played zero regular season minutes. Why are we playing that in the postseason? There's just some of the decision-making, specifically with the rotation and the lack of playing Cam Thomas when you desperately need a bucket, You know, the lack of playing Yuta and Edmund Sumner when you clearly need energy and juice. It's just like not utilizing your whole roster and then playing guys like Joe who just clearly can't perform and clearly just aren't the same player that they once were. Yeah, it's the LeBron game one against the Warriors when J.R. Smith threw the ball away and LeBron's got his arms out and it's just sort of like pointing. And I'm like, that's me. I'm like, there's Cam Thomas, there's Yuta Watanabe, there's Edmund Sumner. Like, it's just, it, it it's bad when you have dumb, at least one dumb analytical podcaster from the Southern Hemisphere saying, at finding solutions for a problem and you're not even trying to use them yep. or you're using things where it's just like you're cleaning windows with mayonnaise, like rather than like <laughs> Windex. Like what, what, what are you doing here? Jacques? Well, the weird thing too, is like some there saw like it, during points of the season, he was had a large role with this team and then other points he barely played. And then other time, and the same thing with Yuta. It's like the rotation never really made sense. And then also I find it super strange that I'm not going to play Seth Curry in game three at all which a game he probably could have had an impact. And then I'm going to play him over 20 minutes in game four. It just, there's really no, it just doesn't feel like there's any rhyme or reason to what Jock Vaughn is doing. And I think that's what makes it so frustrating. If he was just like, I'm going to stick with the same rotation we played through the four, first four games it at least make a little sense, but he's essentially adjusting it, but all the bad adjustments. I guess we'll let Jacques Vaughn have his sort of quote and then we'll wrap this one up, Nick. So Jacques Vaughn said this, I told them they should feel extremely proud when they walk around the borough of Brooklyn. We didn't make excuses this year. We figured out how to stay together. That locker room was together even at the end of the game. And that is a positive of, of Jacques Vaughn. He has a find, he finds a way to create an atmosphere that is conducive to, to the guys wanting to be there and, and, and creating a camaraderie. And, and, and that's a hell of a thing that a coach needs to do. And 
I guess that's it, guys. That wraps up another season of Nets basketball, another season of the Brooklyn Buzz. But don't think we are going anywhere. In a matter of time, we'll have plenty more content, off-season content. If you guys want to throw stuff our way, we totally and wholly appreciate all of your support through a whirlwind Brooklyn Nets season. Make sure, again, that you're subscribed, rating us on all platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, following us on Instagram, following Nick and myself on Twitter. We have plenty more stuff coming. The content has only just begun at the Brooklyn Buzz. And yet again, guys, we appreciate you 110%. Nets World, we ride. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.